Well, hello. Hi, everybody. Hey, you guys having a good week? Yeah? Good. It's been awesome to get to see you guys learn here in chapel and going hard at Rex. Some of you still look like zombies. You have like blue skin. It's kind of scary and awesome at the same time. Hey, let's do a little recap. Sunday night, we introduced this theme coming right out of the book of John, where we're studying this concept of truth. Truth is something that can be known as absolute. Truth. Two plus two equals four. Grass is green, the sky is blue. These aren't things that are up for debate. Now, we, we, we begin to apply this concept of truth to what we have read and learned about God and scripture. On Sunday night, we talked about the fact that there is a God and that that God throughout the entirety of scripture is known as the author, maker, and creator of life as we know it. He exists in three persons, God the Father, the Spirit, which in Genesis 1 is hovering over the waters of the deep, and the Son, Jesus. In John 1, we looked at the proclamation that Jesus is God. There was no mistake. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't like some little secret identity or online catfishing thing that Jesus was doing. No, Jesus was very clear about who he was and why he came to this earth. For those reasons, we established on Sunday night, that God is in fact trustworthy. We can trust him because he ultimately is love. Then on Monday night, we looked at the concept of the Bible, a book that is oftentimes misunderstood and oftentimes mislabeled. But we talked about how the Bible is a library of books telling one consistent story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And the story that the Bible tells us in both the Old and the New Testament is that there is a God who loves you so much that he has been in pursuit of your soul since the beginning of time because he desperately, desperately, desperately wants to have a relationship with you. From there, we looked at the life of Jesus and we established that 2,000 years ago, there is historical evidence and proof that a Jewish rabbi named Jesus, who claimed himself to be the Messiah, walked the face of the earth. And his ministry could be characterized by him seeing people for who they are, him knowing people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and him still choosing to love and honor those who he came in contact with. And then last night we ended our time looking at this idea of sin. And talking about how sin is this wall that has built up in between us and God. Sin is death. And we looked at how that death has robbed us of the ability to have a relationship with the person who made us, with the God who created us, and with that God who loves us. And we, we left chapel last night, truthfully, kind of going, man, what is sin? Do I believe in it? Do I see it in my life? Do I understand the effects of it, the ramifications of it, the, the payment that sin affords me is death and separation from God? We have something in between us and our ability to have a relationship with this God that we've been talking about all week. Tonight, I'd love to talk about what God has done 
to remove that sin, that wall, that death, that separation, and replace it with new life and an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God, restoring what sin had taken away, allowing you and I, young and old, male and female, fill in the blank with your identity, all of us have an opportunity at abundant life as a result of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I'm gonna read a passage here for you. John 14, we're just gonna read six verses here. John 14, as you turn there, let me help you understand a little bit of what's going on. So by the time you get to chapter 14 in the book of John, Jesus has hours left in his life. Like his earthly ministry is rapidly coming to a close. It's not long after this passage that we're about to read that Jesus will be arrested, handed over to the Roman government. There's gonna be uh, a little bit of a public trial. Ultimately, Jesus will carry his cross, be put to death, and tucked away in a grave. Hours, not weeks, not months, not years, but just hours after these six verses that we're about to read. Check this out. John 14, one, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, an evening to ponder the deepest truth that's ever been told, the deepest act of love and mercy and grace and sacrifice that's ever been bestowed to any of us. I pray, God, now, alongside of counselors and youth pastors and staff in this room, that you would move in this place for the next 30 minutes. That for those of us who have put our faith in this message, would tonight serve as a sober reminder of why we're here in the first place? Would our souls be thankful for the truth that we're about to read and understand? Pray for those that don't yet know you. I pray that they would have nothing but attentive ears to hear what you have to say to us tonight. You're the way. Would you show us what that means in the coming moments? Amen. Amen. So where we left off last night, if you remember, is we talked about how we had something in the way of us and God. We had baggage. And this baggage wasn't something cute. This baggage wasn't something light. This baggage was an offense in the face of a holy and perfect God. This, this baggage had discredited our ability to have a relationship with our maker, with the one who formed each of us. Reminds me of a story that I'd like to share with you. I, I told you guys on Monday night that my youngest daughter uh, was adopted July 13th, 2018, after about three years of foster care, God provided a way for us 
to bring my little Maley girl into our family. And what happened on that day was miraculous. You see, when you adopt a kid, they give them a new birth certificate. In our case, we actually gave our daughter a new name. Her name wasn't Maley before this moment. But we felt it was befitting to her to give her a new name to go along with this new family that she has. And so we show up to court. We're all dressed fancy. For months, she had called this her wedding day. So cute. In her mind, this was the day she was getting married, which is kind of awesome as a dad because now I don't ever have to pay for a wedding for her. Uh, <laughs> said, hey, first one was on me, girl. Uh, you got to figure it out after that. You know what I'm saying? And so we're in the courthouse, and there's this moment where the judge looks at us and says, from this day forward, it will be as if Maylee Grace Fenn was born unto you. Swings the gavel, decision is final. Oh, it's awesome. I still get little goosebumps thinking about it. It wasn't long after that moment, we're talking maybe three, four weeks, that I was cleaning out my garage. Again, I'm a dad through and through. I clean the garage, okay? So I'm out there cleaning the garage, like every normal dad, frustrated that no one's helping me. It's their mess in the first place, right? Just going on and on in my head. I got better things to do. There's golf to be had or whatever, you know? And I open this cabinet kind of above where we park our car, and I look, and I saw something. Now, I don't know if there's things in your life, maybe it's a little blankie or a stuffed animal or a picture on the wall in your parents' home that, that takes you instantly back to a time before. It's like a little time machine that takes you back to a moment in history that you hadn't thought about for a while. Can you think of something like that? You see, for me, this backpack brought with it a flood of memories from those three years where we were going back and forth multiple times a week, for those three years where it looked like we were going to get to keep her forever, and then it looked like she was going to go back to her original biological family. Like, it, it stirred up this emotion seeing this backpack. Can I see your backpack? Thank you. Oh, nice. Oh. So... I pull this backpack down off the shelf, and this backpack had deep sentimental meaning to my daughter. This backpack is what we would pack for her when she would go to visitation. And visitation was terrible for her. It was very triggering. It, it brought back a lot of emotions, and she was too young to have words for those. So the emotions would manifest themselves through destructive behavior or disobedience. It was hard. It was really rough. I'm standing in the garage looking at this backpack reminded of how many times for three years, twice a week, that my wife and I, to prepare her for visitation, would pack a lunch and we'd put it in the back. And we'd find a little blankie that she loved, something to comfort her, we'd put it in the back. While she was wearing diapers, we'd put diapers and wipes, maybe an extra outfit in case an accident happened in the bag. We'd put a stuffed animal, something to comfort her in the bag, sometimes a note, sometimes something funny, silly, alluding to an inside joke, we put it in the back. And for three years, twice a week, we'd drive two and a half hours, one direction, for her to go have a five-hour visit with her biological family. And the sister would jump out of that car, put the backpack on her shoulder, take a deep breath, clutch the strap real tight, and walk through the doors, face her fears. But on July 13th, 2018, she didn't have to do that anymore. The backpack was no longer needed. In fact, now something that brought her comfort in light of her new identity was holding her back 
from being the person that she's actually supposed to be now. Legally binding, new name, new identity, new parents. And looking at this backpack in my hand just brought back a wave of very complicated emotions. And just as I'm kind of sitting there staring at this thing, going, I should throw it away. Guess who walks out the door? Maylee. And she goes, oh, my backpack. I've been looking for that. And I was like, I should have threw it away. I had a chance. And I got all emotional. I should have tossed the thing when I had the chance. And she goes, Dad, I've been looking for that. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't been looking for it. I found it on accident. And she goes, can I have it? And I felt like, I felt very conflicted. It's like, I, I mean, it's your backpack. But it represents terrible, terrible moments in your life. And so I knelt down and I began to explain this to her in the best way that you can to a four-year-old. Like, hey, and this is what we landed on. Hey, this backpack used to have a need in your life, but we don't need it anymore. And so what if we get rid of this backpack and I'll buy you a new backpack? Done. Problem solved. Instantly. It's like, why didn't I just think of that in the first place? I share this story because for a lot of us, the sin that exists in our lives is very much that thing that's keeping us tethered to this old, dead, separated, sinful way of life. In fact, if what we read in scripture is true, that baggage that we hold on to doesn't just harm us, it damns us. That baggage that we hold on to doesn't just harm us, it pushes us further and further and further away from the love of God. Do you remember what we read last night in Ephesians chapter 2? In Ephesians 2, we read this, didn't we? In Ephesians 2, we read, hey, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. What scripture teaches is that us, you and I, in our sinful state, could not see straight, could not think right. But God, who is rich in mercy and full of kindness, bestowed upon us an opportunity to have that dead, separated, sinful state taken away and replaced with the love of his son Jesus, offering us a new way of life offering us an opportunity to experience life the way that it was always meant to be lived before it was marred and scarred and tarnished by sin. It's been said before that sin has caused us to be dead. And what a dead thing needs is not good works. What a dead thing needs is not a church experience. What a dead thing needs is not an opportunity to go to camp for a week. What a dead thing needs is an opportunity to be brought back to life, to be made new. And so when we look back at John chapter 14, Jesus begins to explain this concept to his disciples by first starting by telling them, hey, 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know that I just told you the plan that I'm going to be arrested. I'm ultimately going to be killed. Don't be worried, though. Well, why shouldn't they be worried? Because Jesus says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, my father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus begins to give them a vision for what their future is as a result of their present relationship with him. He says, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going I'm to make a spot for you. I'll meet you there. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas asks a perfectly timed question. He says, Jesus, question. You have someone like this in your class. It's like the end of class and someone raises their hand and they're like, oh, forgot to give us the homework. And you're like, I really don't like you. I don't like you at all. Right? Thomas kind of pulls one of those. Jesus just says, hey, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas goes, "Uh uh-uh, no, we don't. And Jesus goes, you do know. You want to know why? He says, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus does in this moment is he offers an invitation for his followers to experience the way to this eternal life where you and I get to spend forever with God in the context that life was always meant to be lived all the way back at the beginning of humankind's uh, creation and inception. Jesus says, but there's only one way to get there. And the only way that you can get there is to be with me. Because eternity, that is forever, eternity that is, there's no more time, time's not an issue. Eternity is forever, right? If you've ever seen the Sandlot, forever, right? Eternity is forever with Jesus. So of course there's no other way to get to forever without the love of God in our lives. And Jesus himself says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, where we left off was that we were by nature children deserving of wrath. And then it says this in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Just when the night couldn't get any darker, just when the diagnosis couldn't get any more deadly, just when the depravity and the sinfulness that exists in our life couldn't have separated us further from the love of God, Jesus himself intervened and offered you a way to experience the love of God. And the only way that we get to experience that is through the grace of Jesus. This concept of grace means that it's a free gift of God, meaning you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, you can't buy it, you can't trade for it. It's not a Pokemon card. It's not a trophy on Xbox. The love of God is the tangible expression of what you were created for, and it only comes to us through the grace of Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 7, he says, and God raised us up with him and seated us, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
Here's that resurrection language again. Here's that eternity with God language again. You see, what's going to happen in the book of John to Jesus, right after these verses that we've read, there's, there's going to be a knock on the door. And some Roman officials and some Jewish pastors are going to walk Jesus down to the courthouse. And Jesus is going to stand before the court of public opinion. Why? Because they thought he was a blasphemer. They didn't believe him when he said he was God. They didn't like the revolution that he was starting. They didn't understand that he was the embodiment and the fulfillment of all those prophecies that we talked about a few nights ago. And so they wanted him dead. And so Jesus stands there before a Roman official named Pilate. And as he's standing there before Pilate, there's an opportunity for the crowd to either release Jesus or release a murderer. And the crowd chooses to release the murderer, sealing Jesus' fate. And in John chapter 19, we see Jesus have to hoist a giant, heavy, wooden crossbeam onto his shoulders and march upwards of 11 miles. Where? To a place called the place of the skull, Golgotha. And while he's there, the Roman officials would, would succeed in extending his arms and crossing his feet over this wooden cross, nailing huge spikes through his wrists and through his ankles, eventually hoisting him up into the ground and dropping him into this hole with a sign above his head that said, all hail the king of the Jews. They were mocking him. And for hours, about six hours, Jesus remained on this cross his disciples standing there in disbelief that their master, that their rabbi was enduring such torture. But there's this little tiny verse in John 19 that's so beautifully tucked away. It says that at the right time, Jesus offered up his spirit and breathed his last breath. Take note of what happens there. When the time was right, Jesus offered up his spirit and breathed his last breath. Friend, it wasn't the Jewish pastors and priests that killed Jesus. It wasn't the Roman officials that killed Jesus. It was Jesus who came down to earth like a lamb to be slaughtered, to ultimately be sacrificed on our behalf so that our sin could be paid for, so that our sin could be atoned for, so that our sin could be taken away. In that moment, Jesus is on the cross. It tells us that he cried aloud with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in that precise moment that Jesus experienced the death and separation that our sin had caused us to need to experience because of what it is that we'd done. But 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. And so Jesus lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserved so that you and I could experience the, the reunification with God that can only come through the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. John 20 tells us that they take Jesus' body down off the cross. They tuck him away in a tomb. They tucked him away and for three days his body lay there. As Jesus' body is in the tomb, his disciples are distraught, they're confused, they can't understand or begin to fathom what's happening. On the third day, two of Jesus' friends go down to the tomb to check it out, and when they get there, 
they start rubbing their eyes. They can't believe what they're seeing. The stone had been rolled away from the tomb. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus' clothes that he was wearing as he was buried were folded neatly and tucked away in the corner. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, hey, I know you're coming to look for Jesus, but he's not here. He has risen from the dead. Go and tell everybody this news. Did you catch what happened? You see, sometimes in our shame, sometimes in our sin, sometimes in our guilt, we think that the punishment we need is to be nailed to a cross. We think that the punishment we need is to be tucked away into a giant stone tomb. Sometimes in our sin and in our shame, like the word says, we are by nature children deserving of wrath. We think that if we could just take enough punishment, then maybe God's, God's anger towards us or whatever would be appeased. But that's not what scripture says. Because scripture doesn't tell us that it was Jesus hanging on the cross and being beaten and all of these things that atoned for our sins. Scripture says that the deal was done at the moment that he raises from the dead. That yes, Jesus took our sacrifice on his shoulders. Yes, Jesus went to the cross for us. But had Jesus stayed dead, we would still be separated from the love of the Father. It's Jesus' resurrection that provides an opportunity for those of us who are sinful, dead, and separated from the love of the Father to be raised up with Jesus for all of eternity. It's resurrection power that Jesus wants to offer to you. And friend, this is the best news because our sin has killed us. And Jesus has brought us back to life through his love. Jesus has extended to each of you an invitation to have your sin removed and replaced with his resurrection. So much so that when God looks at you, he sees the identity of his perfect son, Jesus, allowing you a ticket to spend forever with him. But don't get it twisted. Because this Christian faith isn't just about heaven. In fact, Christianity at its core is not about going to the good place when you die and not the bad place. Christianity at its core is about life with God. That's why in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a place where we can be together. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, verse 28, we read this at Christmas time. Jesus' name given to him is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' atoning sacrifice for our sins has provided a way for us to not just go to heaven when we die, but to live in relationship with God while we're here on earth on into eternity. And the thing that's made this possible for all of us here tonight is his grace and his kindness. Ephesians 2 tells us, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, the Bible's clear that we can't work for this because if we could work for it, we would boast about it. No, 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 no. That's why the way to have your sin taken away is to be in a relationship with Jesus. And that's extended to us through grace. There's a Bible verse that's so popular that explains this idea so well. John 3.16, do you know it? For God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Let's break that down. Walk it back for a second. For God so loved the world 
Translation, for God so loved everybody. For God so loved the cosmos. For God so loved the earth is what that verse says. God loved the whole of humanity so much so that whoever would believe in him. Ah, there's a fun word, believe. Do you know what that means to believe in something? To believe in something means to put your faith in it. To believe in something means to rearrange the order and the way that you've been living your life because now you value something that you didn't used to value. John 3.16, this book we've been studying, tells us that, that God loved you so much that anyone who would believe in him, anyone who would put their faith in him, shall not perish shall not have to experience this death anymore, but can be made new. John 10.10, 10, Jesus came that you may have life and life to the abundance. But it comes through belief. Belief is what my daughter did when she handed me that backpack. Embracing the new identity that she had. Saying goodbye to the pain of her past and walking fully in this new name, new home, new parent, new family way of life. Jesus is offering an invitation for those of you tonight who have never made this decision before to walk in the newness of this identity as well. And all that the Bible tells us that's required for us to experience this new way of life is to believe in it. Is to say, God, listen, I believe that I have sinned against you. And I believe in your life and your death and your beautiful resurrection. That is the power to make dead things alive again. And God, I believe in that. I put my faith in that. And I want to experience that. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it this way. Romans 10 9 tells us. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. The Bible tells us that all that is necessary for us to experience this new way of life is to confess it and to believe it. Jesus says it another way. He says, hey, believe the good news. Repent and believe Turn from your life of sin and put your faith in my saving power. And guess what? You get to be one of my followers. You see, in the Bible, there's this term for followers. And it's important that we understand this. The term for followers in scripture is this word disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is anyone in this room or anyone in the world, really, who has put their faith in this message and began to follow the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus tells us that if we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him every single day of our lives. When we tie all this together, what do we get? We get the good news of a God who has loved you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins removing the consequences, removing the debt, and removing the punishment that our sin has accrued. And when that sin is removed, it's replaced with the identity of Jesus, so much so that when God looks at you, he sees the love of his son covering all of your sin and all of your transgressions. And what comes along with that transaction is an eternity with God that starts right here, right now, at the moment you put your faith in it. So I suppose the only question that I have left for us tonight is do you believe that? Is this a message that you have put your faith in before? Is the way of Jesus and the truth of the gospel something that you have anchored your life upon?
Or have you wrongly and falsely believed that there is another way? If there was another way, would Jesus have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other way to the Father except through me? If there was another way, would Ephesians 2.9 have told us that it's not as a result of works? If there was another way, would Jesus have been promised hundreds of times? If there was another way, wouldn't someone have discovered it by now? Friend, there isn't another way. And the whole of Scripture, from the first page to the last, has been telling us a truth. And that truth is that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus has their sins taken away and receives an invitation to live a new way of life. Life the way that it was meant to be lived. Do you believe that? Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about do you believe that, as in do you pray this prayer every year at camp? I'm not talking about do you believe this um, because you go to church or do you believe this because your parents are Christian. I'm saying do you believe this? At the end of the day, is this a message that you have put your faith in before? Is this a message that you yourself have said, I believe, like Romans chapter 10, 9 tells us? Think about that for just a second. Is there a moment in your life where you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in the resurrection power that Jesus offers us. Let's pray. In this moment of prayer, I I want you to ask yourself a question. Do I believe this? And if the answer to that question is yes, has there been a moment where you have declared, I do believe? Specifically for the first time ever, have you ever put your faith in this message of the gospel? Is there a moment in your life where you can recall having asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, having asked Jesus to take your sins away, having asked Jesus to fill you and to mold and to shape and to make you into something new. If you have never done that before, take a second and just pray. God, I I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that in my sinful state, I have been dead and separated from you. But God, in this moment, I wanna put my faith in you. I wanna say I believe. I want to trust that your love is enough to cover my sin. And in this moment of self-reflection, if you, for the first time ever tonight, would like to put your faith in Jesus, meaning you've never done it before, it's really simple. The Bible tells us that all that's necessary for that is for us to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And if you just prayed that prayer, you've got the belief in your heart part down. And so what I'd like to do now is extend an invitation for you to stand and say, I believe, if this is a message that you'd like to put your faith in. For the first time ever, again, not talking to those of you who have done this before, but you sat there in that moment of self-reflection and said, I've never made that decision, but I'd like to. Here's your chance. I'm gonna count to three. And on three, I want you to stand where you are and say, I believe, if you would like to commit your life to Jesus for the first time. For the first time. One, 
All you're going to do is stand and say, I believe. Two, only for those of you who'd like to do this for the first time ever. Three. Awesome. Awesome. Stay standing. Stay standing. First time ever. Wow. So for those of you who are standing, is it fair for those of us who are watching this public declaration of faith to assume that you want to give your life to Jesus tonight? Yeah? Well, guess what? Jesus always invites you in. Jesus always says yes to that. And for those of us who are in the family of God, it's hard to not clap and get real excited because what we just saw where people go from sinful and separated to finding new life in Jesus. And so welcome to the family, and congratulations to all of you. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stand back up. Okay. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Stay, if that's you, stand back up, because what we're going to do now is we're going to pray over you, and then I'm going to dismiss us tonight. Stand back up. If that was you, you just gave your life to Jesus for the first time, I want to pray over you, and if you're someone around them, I want you to extend a hand and to pray with me for them. Lord, we thank you for these men and women who have committed their lives to you for the first time, putting their hope, their faith, and their trust in your saving grace, in your resurrection power, in the fact that you, Jesus, and you alone have the power to make dead things come alive, and our sin has caused a great death. But your sacrifice and your resurrection, Jesus, has the power to take that away. Thank you for each of them. God, I pray that you would have them. I pray that you would hold them. I pray that you would connect them to their counselors, to their youth pastors, and into their local church. Their process of being discipled starts right now. From this moment forward, your word teaches that we are filled with your spirit and that we begin to learn what it means to walk with you and to follow you for all of our days. Thank you so much for them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. So, hey, uh, there's, there's kind of a part two to this, all right? And the part two is, um, way to go. Like, what courage for you to stand and say, I am sinful and I need saving Jesus, save me. Like, that's an incredible thing, right? But, but, There's some conversations that need to be had as a result of that decision. And your counselors and your youth pastors are here to have that specific conversation with you tonight. And so if you are one of those that just stood, or if you're one of those, maybe you didn't stand, but you said, tonight I gave my life to Jesus. I want you to stay right where you're sitting. And I'm going to have the rest of you leave quietly, way better than you did last night. Actually quiet tonight because we got some business to do in this chapel. We've got some people to welcome into the family, and we've got some marching orders that need to be delivered as a result of this life-changing commitment that has just been made by your peers. And so I would love now to dismiss all of you to head out those doors unless you just stood, but I need you to do it quietly, okay? I need you to do it quietly. Quietly as in no talking.